0: the very first episode the pilot if you will of sonic shuffle the music podcast where the topic is decided by fate for you see every band i talk about in the show will be decided by the shuffle button whether i shuffle from my like songs on spotify or a friend's playlist almost almost every band is eligible for an episode no matter how big or small But before I kind of go further, explaining the uh, concept of the show, I should introduce myself. My name is Andrew Mullin. I'm a recent graduate from Central Michigan University. I'm a reporter, I'm a cyclist, and most relevant to this podcast, a big old music nerd. Some of the genres I like primarily revolve around, you know, punk music, alternative music, you know, rock in general, metal, if you will, as well. Also like a lot of folk music. I enjoy some soul, some funk to get to hip-hop recently. Um, I mean it just kind of goes on. I'm kind of all over the place uh, at least that's the way I like to think so hopefully that will give us a good wide array of stuff uh, to talk about on the show um, which will make sense here in just a second. This is not my first music podcast either. In fact, when I was at CMU, I worked at the student, uh, the school's student media platform, Central Michigan Life. There, I co-founded the music podcast Soundcheck. This is a more straightforward music podcast with topics that were actually predetermined, unlike what this one's going to be. Again, I'll explain a little bit more in a second. Anyways, enough about me. Let's talk about this crazy endeavor I'm setting out on for some reason. So, picking the band that I'm talking about for an episode, it's pretty straightforward. I'll go to my Spotify light songs, or perhaps my own collection of digital files. Yes, I still listen to those. I love things on Spotify, after all. Hit shuffle, and I'll see what comes up. But obviously, just getting bands or artists that I'm even slightly familiar with, or even very familiar with, all the time wouldn't be very fun for you all, the listeners. So... I will enlist the help of friends, family, my girlfriend, whoever, to use their music libraries to shake things up time to time. So we're not just using the songs that I listen to. I'll also use Spotify playlists, whether are created by other Spotify users or Spotify themselves, to get out of my song library, if you will, or perhaps specific genre playlists if we've been kind of in, let's just say we've been getting a lot of metal songs recently on the show, or metal bands, I should say. I would go to maybe like, okay, we need to lighten things up a bit. Let's, let's go to, you know, a modern folk playlist. Maybe I'll shuffle from there so we can get a little bit of diversity, if you will. So once the band is picked from there, I will research and run through the band slash artists, history and discography on the show. for you all to hear. However, not every band or artist is going to be eligible for an episode as one could imagine. first, Uh, this band or artist must have at least two albums, or at least an album and some EPs. They also must be researchable online. Like, if I can't find any information on them, how am I going to do an episode on them, if they're, like, that obscure? Both these rules will hopefully ensure at least a decent length episode, and again, I'll have enough material to work with. Also, no huge, major, god-tier bands of, like, wide popularity and appeal, such as The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, Nirvana, etc., that's because, seriously, what am I going to add to the discussions around those artists that hasn't already been said? Like, if I get the Rolling Stones, what am I really going to say with that? For bands slightly smaller than those god tier levels, you know, like Soundgarden, for instance, I would put them in that list. I might shake it up and do like a tier list, or something that's not just a straight discography run through. Ultimately, what bands I put in those discographies are going to be subjective, of course, and be something I say. If you don't agree with them, I guess let me know. Other than that, all artists will be eligible for the show. Now, hopefully we have all the admin out of the way, at least for right now. Just launched the show. I don't have any social media yet, but hopefully that will be coming soon. I think we can move on to picking the very first band we talked about. But before we do, I guess I lied about the admin. I implore you to hit the like button or follow button Depending on what platform you're listening to me on, leave a review on iTunes once this episode is released. Now, let's move on to Spotify. Alright, Spotify was already open. I already have it on my Liked Songs page. So, for this first episode, the very first episode of Sonic Shuffle, I hope to get an artist that's... I don't know how to put it. Kind of big enough where a lot of people will recognize the name and hopefully you'll be interested in clicking on the episode if it's not just some obscure band, but also not too big where it's just kind of boring. You know what I mean? Again, I already kind of gave some examples of artists I would skip over, but like, if it's like a Soundgarden, I would still do that. It's just be more like a tier list, but I want, I want something to kind of sink my, my teeth into this first episode if that makes sense. If it's like some obscure artist, I don't know that everyone's going to click on it. So... But with that being said, it is not my decision, of course, what we talk about. It's what the algorithm is about to decide for me. So I'm going to make sure I'm on shuffle. I am on shuffle. I'm just going to hit play on my like songs in Spotify and see what comes up. Nice. Okay. Uh, my girlfriend's going to be very, very happy about this one. Um, i used to be getting a lot of buzz, so... Hopefully this will get some clicks. And Nova Twins. And I say that uh, just realizing I don't think they're eligible. <laughs> they only have one album out so far which was released last year. It's called Who Are The Girls. Fantastic uh, album by the way. I highly recommend everyone go listen to it. It's really good. But other than that they have some some singles it looks like. But an EP. It's also pretty good. But beyond that just uh yeah just some singles one ep and album i don't i feel like i don't have enough at least at this moment in time to talk about the nova twin shot as much as i'd love to Uh, it's actually kind of sucks that you can't play them but i i did also have a plan for this if we do come across an artist that just isn't big enough or doesn't have enough material i should say to talk about on the show I will just let the song play for a little bit so y'all get a taste for them. So at least they get some recognition. And in this case, I highly recommend you go check out the Nova Twins. They're really great. And I'm very excited about what else to do in the future. Hopefully one day they'll have enough material where I can actually talk about them on the show for. But anyways, here's a little bit of the song that you're hearing right now, Devil's Face! <laughs> All right, so the first artist that came up didn't really fit the criteria. Uh, no problem. We have the ability to just skip to the next track whatever the algorithm has loaded up for us. So let's move on from the Nova Twins and see instead who we'll be talking about in the very first episode of Sonic Shuffle. All right. All right, interesting. All right, the slits. We have the slits. Um, I quite like The Slits, at least a couple songs I did you know from. I don't know a whole lot. I know this song quite well. Typical Girls, I remember really during this one in high school. How many albums do they have? Obviously I'm most familiar with their debut cut, I believe that's their debut. Um, it's like they have uh, something called Return of the Giant Slits from 2015. Don't know if that's in a studio album or not. They have a live album from 2005. They have one from 1997 called In the Beginning, and then, again, Cut. Hmm. I don't know how many of these are like compilations or anything, so. All right, so I'm on Wikipedia. They have Cut, they have Returned the Giant Slits in 81. It says, um, let's see. Yeah, it says 2015 on Spotify. I guess that wasn't correct. Um, And then Trapped Animal and 2009. Interesting. Well, they do technically have enough. So, that's my first man. The Slits. Interesting. Well, not a bad start, I guess. Although, would like to have more of a, um, I guess, full-range discography, but, uh, need to say, it fits the criteria. So, that is who we'll be talking about here on the first episode. The Slits. Alright, so, welcome back everyone, even though it's been like mere seconds for you, it's been a lot longer for me, Uh, but but I have come back and since listened to pretty much everything, as far as I can find, that is under the Slits discography, and anything adjacent to it, as far as projects from other band members, I should say, that they did after the Slits broke up, because spoilers, they broke up um but eventually reform so i guess it's nice although not really when you hear the music but we're getting way ahead of ourselves there but yeah like i said um i was really only familiar with a couple of the songs a cut obviously primarily typical girls which is the song that came up here but beyond that this was a new exploration for me this was you know it was fun it's always nice to check out a new artist and um yeah so the slits for those who don't know Slits were kind of a forerunner in many respects in the the punk music world, particularly uh, with Riot Girl, because throughout most of the iterations, they were primarily made up of all women. Actually, in their first two studio albums, they had... Filthy men manning the drum sets, uh, if you will. But beyond that, most of these were a bunch of gals who were really paving way for women to become part of the um, the punk scene. Obviously, this was in the late 70s when they started, so a little far cry out from the uh, Riot girl movement of the late 80s and early 90s. So not quite bikini kill yet, but uh, certainly paving way for the uh, women in the genre. So that being said, who are the Slits, if you're not familiar with them? Like I said, the Slits were, in late 70s, punk-ish band, although they, they kind of mix a lot of punk with reggae in Dubai. More specifically reggae, I'd say. It was a tight-sounding band in that regard, kind of like The Police, but a little, I don't want to say dirtier, but I'd say a little more raw. And I'll kind of talk about that in a little bit. Like I said, they were opening the door for women at the time, because really, if you think about the late 70s, I can think of just enough bands, punk bands, fronted by women that I can count on my hand. Uh, you have The Slits, you have X Ray Specs, Alice Bag, The Raincoats, and Susie Q. Susie Sue and the Banshees. Oh, I always say Sue. Q. I mean, obviously you can go with, like Joan Jett too. She was making pretty punkish music as well. But I think people generally classify her as more just straightforward rock music. So, I mean, if you want to play around with definitions, you can probably come up with a little bit more. But off the top of my head, those are really the only bands I could think of. So certainly it, an important band in that regard. Many of the members of the Slits would go on to form other bands and the band's influence would be felt in the music scene for a while. Um, even if they're Just kind of remembered for one album, if we're being honest here. Because, yeah, their discography is far from expansive. I think there was really, I believe, only three studio albums. There's a compilation of early recordings and demos and live mix and live recordings, very rough live recordings. I mean, and there was I think an EP, maybe two. I think they did like a split with like one band. But yeah, the actual music under the actual name of the slits, honestly, there isn't a ton of it out there. <laughs> this probably won't be a super long episode, but hey, you know what? First episode. It's nice to have a bit of an easy one to dive into. My overall thoughts on the band? Well, I like them. Uh, at least uh, their first two albums. You know, I found I did enjoy the music overall. However, it, I've heaped praise on them, I suppose. And they certainly do earn a lot of praise for being in a male-dominated scene in a male-dominated music industry, especially back then when it was, I mean, it's obviously still pretty pretty bad for women now in music, if we're being real honest here, but, yeah, even back then, though, obviously, it was a lot worse, and, uh, yeah, they just definitely deserve a lot of commendability for that and being trailblazers in that regard, but that does not mean this band isn't problematic in many regards, and doesn't mean there weren't sore spots with both music and within the band members themselves, but we'll get to that as it comes, so... Let's just kind of dive into some of the band members and the formation of the band. We'll give a little bit of history prior to that as well. So the band was fronted by Ari Up, probably the most notable member of the band, because she was the only constant member of the band. She was born to German singer Frank and Nora Forrester, the latter of which you may actually recognize if you're an old school punk fan. Why? Because she was married to none other than punk rock legend and national embarrassment, Luckily, not my national embarrassment. Sorry, Brits. Johnny Rotten slash Lydon. Whatever you want to call him. The fact that Ari was John Lydon's stepdaughter. Yeah, think about it. I mean, Forrester, I believe is about like a little over 10 years older than Johnny Lydon when they married, which are a little iffy there. But yeah, um, it just kind of fucks with my head a little bit to see that John Lydon's stepdaughter was Ari up, even though they're pretty much contemporaries at the same time musically. So uh, it's a little... A little hard to wrap my head around there, but nevertheless, uh, I guess let's just move on from there. It's actually kind of an important detail to me, because the house of Nora Forrester attracted many punk musicians, which I imagine not only got Ari introduced to punk, but acclimated to it, well... She even learned how to play guitar from The Clash's Joe Strummer. So, hey, there you go. The other notable members, particularly, not I don't know which ones to say quite founding members, but like the ones that kind of established the Slits as a name well before they even recorded studio material, they included Phil Albertine on guitars, Tessa Pollitt on bass, and founding member, drummer, and songwriter, Pamela Live? Pommel Live? I don't know how to say your pronounce her name, to be quite frank, so I do apologize if that's incorrect she's still notable within the band even though she actually never recorded any studio material with with the slits she's notable along with albertine for being a primary songwriter so those two kind of wrote a lot of the music especially on the debut album cut which again we'll get to in a little bit palm Life also went on to join similar proto riot girl band i don't know if proto riot girl the name but but again kind of contemporaries of the slits in that regard went on to join the band the raincoats so there's that as well. I'll talk about why Pommel live live whatever. Why she left later. Some of the band members are actually part of other bands before joining or forming, I should say, the Slits, including one band named Flowers of Romance, which featured Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols on vocals. Keith Levine, who was once member of The Clash, and later, Public Image Limited, and Palm Alive and Phil They're all part of that. It was a short-lived early punk band. I think they were formed in, like, 1976, and they probably didn't last longer than a year. <laughs> to be honest, I'm surprised it would even last a month. But, um, this band still garnered infamy, and this is the first of surprisingly a lot of iffy moments surrounding these band members, because this band gained infamy over one particular song. Beltson was a gas which refers to a Nazi concentration camp that, by the way, didn't even gas people, so they can't even, I mean, God. His song, because I'm just going to presume this was Sid who wrote it, but I guess, who knows. His song would later be performed by the Sex Pistols, Public Image Limited, and uh, Sid Vicious himself when he was doing his weird brief solo stuff. Um, the song, uh, I'm going to realize, the song is needlessly edgy and shocking. So much so that fucking Johnny Lydon himself even respects regret later on instead of cross the line. Yeah, um, if Johnny freaking Lydon is going out saying, you know what, man? No, I, re- I regret it. That was literally the worst British accent I have ever heard. My girlfriend will tell you firsthand how terrible I am with accents, so. uh, But anyways, yeah, I guess sorry. <laughs> but, Yeah. Yeah, that's just that's just crazy that even he would regret that. I don't know if that man ever regrets anything, but uh, or shows regrets for any wrong season he's done in life could really be do could really use some of that regretting right now. Anyways, uh, I should also mention while doing the research, I also found out another briefly existing early punk band in Britain that uh, was called London SS that featured classes Mick Jones, you know the class famous for their hard left wing politics. Being in a frickin' band named after, you know, one of the worst groups of people to ever exist in history. Goes to show the Nazi iconography, whether they were trying to be racist or just a bunch of ad was certainly rooted in a lot of punk's creation. And, I'm just gonna say that right now, not not, not a good thing. I'm, I'm just gonna say it wasn't a good thing. If you disagree with me, uh, <laughs> please, please go away. I don't need you listening to my podcast. Ugh, my god. I was actually wondering when politics and stuff like this was going to first show up heavy-handedly in my podcast, how long it would take, apparently on the first episode. You know what? I, I'm, I'm more than okay with that. Anyways, going back to uh, Flowers of Romance, this band is important to the story of the not only because of Albertine and Pameliv's inclusion into the uh, band. During this time, Albertine wrote the song So Tough which would later appear on The Slits' first album. Anyways, The Slits formed in 1976 and went on to support The Clash with multiple tours uh, before they even recorded a studio album. It's kind of crazy because, I mean, I know it's not super rare that it takes a couple, even a three years, to record the first album, but as far as I can tell, there wasn't even like an EP before they recorded their first album, and they actually went through a lot of different sound changes during that time, which I'll get to in a second. But I do also want to mention, because again... These were all women at the time when they when the band formed. The the band faced a lot of sexism during these these tours and you know playing shows and whatnot, as you can imagine. I watched a collection of interview clips from different documentaries, and uh, their manager at the time said uh, the band had to actually pay off the bus driver who's also driving the class around. This was during the uh, White Riot tour. The reason he had to do it because these male bus drivers could not compute with the idea that these girls were not acting ladylike or uh, acting like rough and rowdy like the you know, other men around them. So, I mean, even though Punk the punk scene was all about kind of being rowdy was kind of being wild. Again, just this kind of goes to show that men and women are not going to be viewed equally in that way. Uh, Albertine also recalled one time that she and another band member uh, were attacked by men who presumed they were prostitutes because they were dressed so, I guess, provocatively. Again, sexism was certainly rooted in the band's early experiences. So, but we, Let's talk about the music, though, for a second because while by the time they got to their first album, they didn't sound like other punk bands of the day, they certainly started out that way though i mean i'm not saying like a typical punk band is you know being a bad thing i'm just kind of saying that because again their first album was just so radically different than the early recordings that i listened to if you go on spotify you can find a lot of these early live recordings from the compilation in the beginning it's more they had more of a you know, like I said, standard aggressive punk sound with a lot of energy. I mean, and they sounded like they are pretty decent. You know, let's face it, a lot of these bands, including the Sex Pistols, who couldn't play the instruments very well, particularly Sid Vicious, so uh, they certainly sounded pretty solid for, you know, a couple of, you know, punk players who hadn't really been practicing for too long, I don't think, before they had formed. So, they're pretty good sounding. But, unfortunately, I say good in the sense of how they're playing. The recordings themselves are pretty rough. There's multiple times. This is on Spotify, I should add, where these uh, live recordings kind of like just a bunch of bright-ass, loud feedback and it just kind of squeals in your ear it's not it's not fun but um, through that stuff i can make out a, some pretty solid punk music if you want like a good comparison to make from their earlier sound to what eventually ended up on their first record you can listen to the song shoplifting because there's an early recording uh, of it on, on spotify and since i've kind of talked so long without playing any music let's listen to that early recording of shoplifting
1: <laughs> It was,
0: yeah, so that was a very early recording of the song Shoplifting, and now let's listen to the later version, the studio version that appeared on the first album, Cut.
1: does, it does, draw-
0: It's just kind of crazy to see how much the sound changed before they even made a first record. Uh speaking of that first record, let's talk let's talk about cut. Well, not quite yet. We still have a little bit of uh, history to go through there. Primarily being at the exit of Pameliv when she went to join the band The Raincoats, who was, by the way, replaced by a drummer of the name Budgie, obviously it's a stage name, who was a member of Suzy and the Banshees, so. Uh, there has been a lot of speculation as to why she left uh, prior to the release, and I should even say recording, of Cut, with many claiming, including herself, that it was due to her refusing to be a part of the album cover of Cut. Well, why would the album cover be a big deal? Well, if you've never seen it, it's pretty much a primarily purple border. And it features a photo of the other three women of the band naked, covered by loincloths on the bottom and a layer of mud on top. Obateen later claimed that Pomalev was actually asked to leave the band so I don't know which which one's true or not obviously it's hearsay but whatever the case is I don't really actually have much else to say about Pomalev she doesn't really play much into the rest of the slit story but I do want to mention that after being in the raincoats I forget when the raincoats dissolved I don't think it was super long after the formation maybe like uh, five years or so it could be wrong though Pomalev Left England to move to Massachusetts, where she joined a church named Victory Chapel. I forget, there's a certain part of it, but Victory Chapel is certainly uh, the shorthand of it. And joined their extreme white-ring views before leaving a few years later after, and this is according to the Wikipedia article, uh, recognizing the church's troubling characteristics. I promise I look at other sources on the Wikipedia, of course. But um, yeah, I really wanted to include that quote, because how do you just one day just kind of recognize, oh, a lot of this stuff is actually pretty bad. I shouldn't be a part of this. I mean, I know people can kind of get sucked in and whatnot, but this was the freaking drummer of a proto-riot brand. I would not expect something like this, so that's just kind of weird. But anyways, yeah, I don't have much else to say about pomolive Maybe if I get the raincoats, I believe would technically qualify for for this episode, if they ever came up in shuffle. If I ever get that band, maybe I can explore a little bit more, but... Right now, to keep it simple, we'll just kind of leave her there. Anyways, so, whoever was right about her departure, it's obviously understandable she didn't want to do it. And, obviously, I don't think there's a problem with the idea of the album cover itself. I mean, if that's what they wanted to do, and if they were comfortable with it, yeah, sure, the band members can do it. And can do that cover. I don't really care. However, uh, there actually is something problematic about this album cover, and when you do just do some basic math, you kind of realize that. Because, Ari she was only 17 years old when the photos were taken, which is all sorts of gross and uncomfortable. I I don't know if laws were different at the time for, like, how old you could be for these kind of photos and... Videos and content or whatever, but yeah, it, that's just, it's not okay. I'm sorry, that just isn't okay. I mean, it's so, and I bring this up because I had never heard anyone mention this. I never heard anyone mention that there was an underage fucking girl on that cover. It's so gross and weird. So, ugh. And what's even weirder, that this wasn't some pervert guy who came up with the idea and took the photo it was like, heh heh, yeah. Um, it was actually English photographer Penny Smith who took the photo, who also shot the cover for a London Call, in, in case you didn't know. I believe it might have actually been the band who came up with this idea, I'm not too sure. But I believe it was also the band who came up with the idea for this photo, um, I'm not too sure. But I did find a quote from Albertine who said, We thought it'd be funny to be covered in English mud, and it was an English cottage in parentheses where the slits recorded the album with English roses behind us and there we are like three savages in England whatever the reasoning was it does not excuse an underage girl being used for a cover like this Ew. <sighs> just anyways moving on with all this background and ickiness out of the way let's talk about something good the actual music of cut finally I know I'm sorry I know I haven't discussed much of the music at this point but um I certainly want to dive into it because it's quite solid. It's 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 actually pretty good. The the album, which was released in 1979, by the way, has strong reggae beats and tight rhythms. The instruments sound great and add a slightly forceful, aggressive edge to these reggae beats, which I'm presuming is where the punk aspect of this music comes in. The producer of this album was Dennis Boville, a Barbados-born reggae guitarist and bass player who's based in England and uh, who's still alive, I believe, and has decades of playing this kind of music under his belts. His production really helps uh help with this albums tights out Ari up is really dynamic with her vocal performances with cool vibrato's and a fun vocal range uh kind of scattered around her performances she has particularly good character work i would argue on the song ping pong affair which is if i remember correctly was written um by albertine i want to say about our relationship with mick jones have a listen I'm- Great tracks include FM which has this nice slick vibe to it. So I really enjoy again. Take a listen to it Love and Romance, which has a nice sarcastic bite to it, and I also should mention the song that the whole reason we're talking about the band here today, Typical Girls, which has this awesome driving rhythm to it, and uh, I love the beats on it, it, it kind of takes these moments of being really quick, really like mid-tempo, and just like, uh, just a lot of grooves to it, it's so cool, the music on that song was so cool, I've grown to appreciate the music a lot more now than I did when I first started listening to it in high school, but again, we'll come back to Typical Girls. Not, just more I want to say about it. Uh, like I said earlier, Palmolove wrote many of the songs on cuts, including uh, Adventures Closer to Home, which was also recorded by the Raincoats later on. So I kind of described the uh, music a little bit, sonically, and uh, I also want to talk about the lyrics, because I think they touch on a lot of topics, different topics, I should say, and... I think they're doing pretty well. Uh, the first two songs are actually about Sid Vicious, who had uh, died earlier in the year. Cut was released in 1979. Instant hit and so tough kind of talked about some of his struggles, his demons, and whatnot. Because, you know, they were friends, so I'm sure they had a lot to say about it. So, Like I said earlier, another Pike icon that was referenced was uh, Mick Jones in uh, the song Ping Pong of Air. Because apparently Viv and Mick Jones were dating, and, like I said, and if I remember correctly, they had like a... I don't want to say, like, a rough breakup. I mean, certainly there were not good feelings afterwards, but um, the song itself kind of talks about, you know, Fiv wanting to, uh, not wanting to actually think about him much because then she's afraid she might want to get him back with them again, even though the relationship probably did not sound like it was the healthiest. So it was a pr- pretty well written there. One of the funniest moments on the album comes from when it plays the uh, quite anti-consumeristic track Spend, 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 to going right after to the gleeful thievery of the song Shoplifting, which you heard earlier. I don't know, I just thought that was a quite uh, funny uh, track placement there. Uh, easily the highlight of the album, easily the best song they ever wrote. The titular anthem, Typical Girls. To me, this is not only the best track of the album, but the Slit's best song period. which is a pleb take, I know, but sometimes the pleb take is the correct one beyond the great music attached to it that i mentioned earlier the lyrics are fantastic they take down contradicting stereotypes levity against women and targeted to meeting uh, commercial tactics aimed at them the third verse reads typical girls are sensitive typical girls are emotional typical girls are cruel and bewitching but she's a femme fatale typical girls stand by their man typical girls are really swell typical girls, typical girls learn how to act shocked typical girls don't rebel um obviously talk about how women are just controlled how to act in just every from every facet of society i mean it's obviously i'm a filthy dirty man and i have never lived as a woman in this country or anywhere on earth obviously so i don't know what it's like firsthand but uh i can certainly tell you from having interacted with you know women that'd be a pretty accurate take i mean it's 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 uh, even today still. I mean, that message rings loud and true. Unfortunately, I mean, it's such a hard thing to try to please society and men and everyone, in it when they shouldn't really have to at all. In fact, they should have to at all. So, it's. it's I think that's a quite um, meaningful verse. There. They also they also question uh, typical societal images of women. And quote from another verse: Typical girls feel like hell. Typical girls worry about spots and natural smells, stinkfakes. stinky fake smells. They have to always pamper themselves to do one way when, I mean, hey, if a girl wants to wear perfume and dress themselves up nice or whatever, fine. Absolutely should be allowed to. That's what they want to do. You no know, one should be forced to, which I think what this song is trying to make out. Is. got the song, I was kind of afraid it would devolve into the whole, I'm not like most girls, I'm not like those girls, or whatever, you know, narrative, uh, that's really problematic, but I think the lyrics overall are aimed towards society for making the image of, tip- of a typical girl so narrow narrow, and impossible to live to. The ending of the song, with the typical boy getting the typical girl with the typical boy not being very nice, is a pretty uh, fitting ending and ties the song into a into a neat bow kind of explaining and kind of the issues of sexism and how it perpetuates itself in society. So the song was so important for the punk scene at the time. I mean, obviously, I wasn't there during then. I'm a filthy, filthy zennial. Uh, so obviously, I wasn't around in the late 70s. But just looking back, there wasn't a lot of songs like this. Um, and there weren't a lot of women leading bands in the punk scene at the time. So to have anthems like this railing against sexism is really important. Of course, this wasn't the first one or the only one around the time. In fact, as far as I can tell, the first one that would have come out at the time, you know, a feminist punk anthem, would have been uh, off of the, you know, the X-Ray Specs first album during Pre- pre-adolescence. Which, by the way, if I may add, I think it's a better album than Cut. It's one I would rather be listening to. I mean, I still like Cut a lot, but Yeah, I mean I think the S Specs' only album smashes anything the Slits ever did musically. Uh, okay, I'm not trying to take away the split slits in that regard. Um back to the slits though, I do also want to mention their cover I heard it through the grapevine, which um if I check Spotify, yeah, is their most popular song. It's their most played song, which I know doesn't always be that's the most that's the best song. I never try to buy into that but yeah i i did want to point it out because i thought thought that was really interesting that this covers their most popular it's um almost like 10 million more monthly listens than typical girl which is kind of interesting to me it's an okay song it wasn't actually on the album it was uh, i believe a beast the b-side to the typical girl single yeah it's a solid cover i like uh, ari on that song i think she's a lot of fun there but yeah it's not it's not being out the marvin gaye version How is was it i mean how could it you know so let's move on we've talked about cut for a while i do apologize but to be honest it's the most notable album of their discography by far anyways following cut this let's did some work with the band pop group who had a more avant-garde sound to them. Barring the band's drummer, after Bunchy Latt, returned with their sophomore album in 1981, The Return of the Giant Slits. And when I said the pop group is avant-garde, it's important because I think that certainly had a lot of uh, influence on the band's second record. Uh, pitchfork, which I know, Pitchfork, it's Pitchfork. I don't like him a ton either, but... I did kind of like this line from a review they did from a reissue of this album, because this album was out of print for a long time, from my understanding. It didn't really get put on a CD until, like, I think, like, the mid-2000s. Pitchfork described it as a slippery, glorious mess that will infuriate anyone expecting the Slits to revisit their debut. And I gotta say, uh I... I don't think that's uh, too far off. This album is, uh, yeah, avant-garde is certainly one word. It takes more, f- uh, more of a free-form, jamming, and atmospheric approach to this album. There's still some reggae, but, but I don't know if I would say there's really any punk to this, to be honest. It's certainly a strange and slightly inaccessible record to listen to. But... I would say somewhat rewarding as well. To kind of get a sense of what this album sounds like, uh, here's a taste of the song Walkabout uh, to get a feel for it. Yeah, you know, uh, there's also some interesting lyrical concepts as well, particularly some environmental themes, uh, such as the song Earthbeat, which is their most popular song from this album on Spotify. Again, I know that doesn't always mean much, but I just thought I wouldn't mention it, so you guys take a listen to Earthbeat as well. Yeah, I mean, this is, like I said, kind of a, a strange follow-up. You know, I guess you could call this a sophomore slump. I don't know how well this did commercially compared to typical girls. I didn't really look that up. But like I said, this was out of print for a while. So I'd have to say it wasn't certainly as well-remembered. Probably not as well-received as cut. Definitely not as tight as that album. And overall, not as good, not as solid. But I kind of liked it. I mean, for the kind of weirdness of it all and it there were certainly some interesting sounds happening. I mean, I don't know. This it kind of felt like you're on another plane, kind of, a not like you were high. I mean, maybe this would be fun on certain substances. I don't know. I don't really partake in drugs or whatever. Not really my thing. But hey, maybe it'd be something if you aren't afraid of getting a little, a little too scared. But. It's worth a listen if you like the first album a lot and you just really want something for the slits, you're not going to get everything, but you get something. Or if you like more esoteric and kind of stranger music, uh, you get the kick out of this. Unfortunately, the band didn't last too much longer after this, breaking up in 1982. I couldn't find a reason as to why the band broke up, but maybe they were looking to pursue other projects, because actually, Ari Up actually joined another band, the New Age Steppers. Before uh, the slits broke up, I believe, if I'm, I'm going to double check my years here, yeah. Uh, the first album of the New Age Steppers uh, was released in 1980. So she was already kind of dabbling in other uh, music projects uh, before the slits had broken up. And uh, this is certainly new wave and reggae. No no punk here. That's their sound. And uh, she sang in all four of the records. I could only find four, I believe. And I believe she sang on all four of them. Not certainly uh, three of them. Personally, though, eh, this is nothing really to write home about. I mean, it it maybe a lot of people get something out of this, but honestly, the new wave reggae sound—I mean, the police did it well, uh, you know—but eh, by the time they got like the police got really synthy, they weren't doing as much like reggae stuff, and they still kept things really energetic. Uh, the new steps, new age steppers from what I can find, weren't as high energy as the police, so. I didn't get as much out of it personally, but maybe it's something you would enjoy. Certainly not terrible. If you really like this, really like this kind of music, certainly something I should check out to give you a little bit of a taste of the New Age Steppers. Here's a song off their debut called "Love." Rock. 2 eight steppers did not last forever either, and uh, following that, Ari up later went on to live in Belize, in Indonesia, and uh, Jamaica finally, which I believe where she lived for I think, a good chunk of her life. I'm not maybe the rest of her life. Um, I'm not sure because I don't have an exact year when she moved to Jamaica. Probably sometime in the '90s, so or even late '80s. But yeah, she was always kind of just moving around a little bit, exploring the world. I would imagine. Anyways, though, I think now, mentioning uh, Jamaica, is a good time, I think, where I should point out something that, honestly, is kind of an elephant in the room with Ari that I don't hear a lot of people talk about. Now, if you look at photos of her, or watch interviews, interviews with her, especially later in life, she's known for wearing big dreads, especially later in life. She loved her big dreadlocks, and... And as you go late and get into her later life photos, she appears to have a very dark complexion and talks in a, a Jamaican accent, quite frankly, and especially in her later interviews. Now, you would assume she's from Jamaica, or of Jamaican heritage, correct? Um, no. She is German and what I can gather, her parents are most certainly white. Um, yeah, this is, um, pretty blatant cultural appropriation. And actually, just one step beyond cultural appropriation with just damn near doing blackface, like, what? Um, yeah, and, uh, she's it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, to be honest, and I, I mean, when I was younger, I first learned about the slits through a punk documentary. I forget what the name of it, but I was watching it on YouTube. It was kind of like the early days of punk of it. Um, I legit thought for a good while, my life, embarrassingly, that Ari was Jamaican. Because she, that's how she presented herself. That's, that's how bad it is. Like, oh, like it, it's, uh, I mean, it's not quite Rachel Dolezal levels. If you don't remember her, she was a person who was, I forget what part of US she was in, but she was caught portraying herself as a black woman when she was really some white woman from Kansas, and she was on some civil rights activist board, so, uh, that's bad. She liked to call herself transracial or some bullshit, but, uh I don't know if I can I don't know if I can straight up say it's that, because she, uh, RE-UP never claimed to be black, but this definitely takes a step beyond blackfishing, and definitely takes a step beyond cultural appropriation being in the vicinity of any of that stuff is bad it's bad i'm sorry but it is and i don't know i don't hear anyone talking about this i mean I've, I've just, i i looked up i saw a couple people mentioning yeah hey let's not let's, let's let's not ignore what ari was doing but yeah i don't know why no one talks about this again maybe because she started doing a lot of that stuff later in life when the slits when no one was really paying attention to the slits at that point but yeah, I mean I don't know why no one talks about this. It's it's uncomfortable. You know, like like I said earlier, we should actually celebrate Ari and and you know the rest of the slits for helping women enter the you know, male space of punk music and paving the way for that. Yes, you can give him credit for that. Sure. You can you know you can be celebrated in that regard, I guess. But this aspect of Ari's life should not go unchallenged, should not go unsaid. And not go uncritiqued. Because, ugh, it's bad. Both can exist in the same plane. And honestly, it does take away from a lot of Ari's legacy. And the slits too, for how problematic she was later in life with this stuff. So, it's not okay. And that's about as much I'll say for it, for now. Um, but, that's my soapbox on it done. But, I really feel like I had to mention it. I say that was the end of it. Uh, one more thing, though. She also had a solo album in 2005. I don't remember the name of it. I, you can, it's not available on Spotify. You have to look for it on YouTube if you want it. But I could not sit through that, like, hardly at all. Because uh, she liked using a Jamaican accent. A very heavy one, I should say. Again, this woman is German. No, thank you. i pass passing that. Yeah, no. I don't know why. Alright, thought that was okay. I guess she got really interested into the culture. Way too interested to the point where she fetishized it and wanted to be part of it in the weirdest, grossest way possible. But anyways, I'm done. I promise. Let's move on uh, to the band's reformation. Because, yeah, this man actually did perform after a couple decades to maybe three Decades, two and a ath- half, I don't know how long. Uh Born is um band actually formed in two thousand five, with uh up in Tessa Polit, uh the bassist from earlier I mentioned earlier, being the only actual original members, or at least members from the heyday of the band, being part of this lineup. Uh Viv Alvartine did not want to return. Uh, in fact I think she was I don't know what she was doing during the whole time after the slits broke up the first time, but if I remember correctly, um I think she maybe do some acting work. Maybe she's an artist of some kind. I don't know. But Viv did return to music later on, but I'll talk about that later. So, yeah, like, really? This was barely the slits with just Up and Pull It in there, but, you know, they had a bunch of new people joining them, and uh, they actually set a three-song EP, which is okay. <laughs> the EP was released in 2006 and was called Revenge of the Giant, of uh, the sorry, Revenge of the Killer Slits. You know, there is some... Hip hop elements in the CP, particularly on the song Slits Tradition and Kill Them With Love. Slits Tradition, in particular, is a really lame use of the sound. The song has at least a cool drum beat. There's a n- song called Number One Enemy that was actually a throwback to the uh, straightforward punk sound they had before the album cut, which you can hear right here. quick aside here from editing andrew because um as i was uh going to put the uh, music into this episode i realized that number one enemy is actually uh, an ultra song there so was, i believe so because it appeared on that compilation of uh, earlier live recordings. so i thought i would just mention that before anyone uh you know uh, cash treats me for getting that wrong yeah i mean it's certainly not the worst thing ever Although, it did have some indicators of what would come for the last list of, uh, Trapped Animal, released in 2009. This is a weird one, because unlike the EP, but like the Ari uh, solo album that I mentioned earlier, this is not available on Spotify. And uh, I could only listen to this through like a YouTube upload. Um, it's quite bizarre. Um, you don't see a whole lot of chatter online. I think Pitchfork? reviewed this if it wasn't them it was someone else maybe it was consequences out i don't quite remember it but i think they gave it an okay rating maybe like a six or a seven actually seven maybe it was a little too um hopeful because yeah this isn't a great <laughs> i'm gonna be real honest here this album's kind of rough it's 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 not the worst thing ever but yeah i mean there's some oak there's some there, there's a lot of good and bad with this record, there's a lot of give and take, like for example, the song Ask Ma, which I believe is the opener, has some good feminist lyrics to it, you know, kind of talking about like, oh, woman, why do I always gotta be like a mother to these shitty men, you know? Alright, fine, good enough. But the song itself was highly repetitive. Paywright had a similar issue too, with decent lyrics, with really lame backing music to it. I believe the only single, or at least one of the singles off this record, I don't know if there were more than one, was the song Lacey Slam, which, uh, I saw had a music video of it on YouTube, which is why I'm assuming it was a single. Uh, but I did watch it because, uh, this song is dreadful. <laughs> I didn't want to hear it again. Um, yeah, the auto, they used this awful sounding auto tune on Ari's voice and these just terrible drum sounds there too. I'm pretty sure Ari's also using her Jamaican voice on here, which, by the way, there's another song on this album called Reggae Gypsy that's pretty really bad, like, was, they're making all these crazy, like, animal-sounding noises, and they're a reggae gypsy, which, I, I mean, she's definitely not Jamaican, I mean, maybe she's just gypsy, I, I, I guess that's a possibility, but, I, I, uh, I I'm, I'm just gonna assume not, yeah, that sucks. pretty Pretty problematic. <laughs> I don't want to say anything more about that one, but yeah, back to Lazy Slam. Uh, you know, and Ari sounds really rough on the points where she isn't using autotune, and honestly, throughout this whole record, Ari sounds pretty inconsistent, but more or less on the bad side. Like, her dynamic, fun vocals have long since passed since the days of Cut, you know, and uh, uh, Return of the Giant Slips. She's like barely singing on Lazy Slam, and uh, yeah, it's it's rough. There's also these weird techno beats all over this album, and they sound cheap, awkward, stupid, ill-fitting, and just plain dumb. I had to fit all those adjectives in because I was really not enjoying hearing those. <sighs> At least the Rejax is an o is an okay guitar-driven punkish track, but honestly, the the song uh was it. Uh, number one enemy off the weird three song EP they had was better than that. I mean, come on. The only solid track in this album that's worth listening to at all is uh, Partner from Hell. Ari sounds good on this, actually. It's one of the few tracks he does sound, you know, serviceable, with uh, some good inspirations to beat by it. The guitar tune itself is actually quite nice. Have listen. a bit is a bit of messy it's really boring most of the part i should also forgot to mention this album's an hour long over an hour long i think it's like an hour and 10 minutes actually which is ridiculous because their other like cut was only like 34 minutes not an hour and 10 minutes it's an hour and one minute sorry but still cut was like 34 something minutes and i think that's with the added like bonus tracks that they added on like the uh uh spotify release and I think, um, Return of the Giant Slits, like that one was only, like, 40-something minutes. I mean, this is a huge leap, and honestly, they were they were not ready for that. It's, 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 oh, it's just kind of tough to get through, so, eh. Honestly, pass this one. I mean, I liked Part of it from Hell, but it's not worth sitting through everything else. And like I said, this album's hard to find anyway. You can only find this as one continuous listen on some shady-looking YouTube uploads, so... I can see why it's largely forgotten and has limited access. However, I will say there may have actually been something, there was actually not may have, definitely something going against this band at this time. I don't know how well it was known to the other members or to the listening public, but uh, Ari was actually not long for this world following that record. As the album was being recorded, Up was battling an illness. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2008, only a year before the album itself was released. And uh, she performed live shows while doing it, and played on the album, which may have explained why she didn't sound the best at times. She didn't want to go through chemotherapy, though, uh, which did Lydon went on to weirdly say, "Who refuses chemo because they didn't want their rasta locks cut off?" I mean, I, I don't know if that's true at all. It's kind of a weird thing to say about someone who's about to die. But honestly, Ari, I don't know. I guess I don't feel too bad about that because Ari was kind of rough. I think he also, John, Johnny Lydon also mentioned that her kids were forced to wear dreadlocks. Again, I don't know if that's true or not. It's Johnny Lydon talking about it. I like to exaggerate, now does he? So, take that for what you will. That's what he said. I cannot confirm or deny it, so. Uh, but unfortunately, Up died just a year after the last album was released in 2010. But our story is not done quite yet. Cause like I mentioned earlier, Albertine came out of the woodworks around the time of our death to make new music for the first time in decades. While unfortunately, Trapped Animals was not the best album by any stretch of the mean to finish off the uh, Slits' legacy. If you want to expand the definition of what we're considering music by the Slits, um, I think Albertine's um first and. So far, only, I presume this is her only record. She hasn't released anything since. First and only studio record is a better fit send-off for The Legacy of the Slits. Albertine released an EP in 2010 called Flesh. And, like I said, her first and only studio album in 2012, which was titled The Vermillion uh, Border. I sampled new music, and it was okay. I mean, kind of little odd at times, but, you know, I mean, it's fine listen i didn't mind it certainly much more so than the last let album i like some of her songs off her uh, album with confessions of a milf being a poignant but chaotic critique of overbearing husbands and the crushing doldrum of being a traditional housewife go. It wasn't groundbreaking or amazing, but you know, perfectly fine. Serviceable record. Uh, you can find both the EP, that album, and I believe a Christmas song as well, all on Spotify. So if you're interested, go ahead and check it out. And that is where the story of The Slits ends. I know there was some icky point with the band's history that should absolutely not be ignored and critiqued. You know, I'm surprised that a lot of that stuff hadn't really been talked about before, because me and my girlfriend were talking about um, this stuff last night. She's so, you now. I'm getting ready to record this, and she talks about you know, and she brought up this great point about how a lot of, you know, the the, the riot girl movement, a lot of those bands had you know their own problems. You know, like you know, a lot of people in the scene were transphobic and you know, were turfs and whatnot. and Obviously, not good. You know, for all the good they did for punk music, you know, they were certainly were certainly not fully inclusive and certainly not um. You know considering other people especially within the lgbtq plus community with and respects people did, that were not white either in their messages so and then you largely found that problem here with the slits but you cannot deny the fact that they opened the door for later ryoko musicians um and, and cited by many other bands including other musicians like Kurt cobain to uh start you know start making music and release cited them as a favorite so you know you know for all, all all the all like the weird harmful stuff they did around them i mean yeah they did some good too so like a lot of things in life there's a mix of gray not black and white overall the sisters are a solid band that feel had the potential to do more musically um but sadly that's just not how things worked out and with that comes the end of the very first episode of Sonic Shuffle. And it took me a lot, much, a lot longer than I would have liked. Than would like to admit to get to get this one recorded and out. But for anyone who has bothered to check me out, and some for some reason stuck with me throughout the entire episode to the very end, I hope you had a good time listening. I had a lot of fun re- uh, researching this band, uh, despite all the weird stuff with it. I Had a lot of fun recording it. And uh, to be honest, I'm really excited to see who we get next. Who's that gonna be? Well, that's not for me to decide, now is it? Hope you all had fun listening. <laughs> I'll see you next time. Take care.